Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by VP and Principal Analyst Shar Van Boskirk to discuss how to build a customer obsession strategy. Welcome, Shar. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. Hey, Jen. Hey, Carrie. So, Shar, we use customer obsession a lot at Forrester for obvious reasons, but I do want to kind of take a step back a bit because I feel like that term can be misconstrued. Like I, as an employee, am doing right by the customer. That's customer obsession. There could be um, sort of a misunderstanding as to what we mean by that. So could you potentially define that first before we talk about how to build a strategy around it? Yeah, absolutely. I have thought a lot about this over the years. And the definition that I work on with clients is that customer obsession is putting the customer at the center of your business leadership, strategy, and operations. And is it is deliberately different than customer focus, which is a good idea. It's deliberately different than customer service, which is also a good idea. It is different because of its enterprise-wide breadth. When you think about putting the customer at the center of your leadership, your strategy, and your operations, that means that every decision you make, where should we open a facility? What kind of people should we hire? What sort of partners should we develop? How do we think about what our work focuses on, what products we build, what we goal our employees on? Like suddenly everything that you do about the kind of company you are and how you operate that firm is made from a a point of reference about how do we create value for the customer. I think that definition is clear and then has two paths a company could, could take. One, that sounds very daunting. Or two, that's incredibly liberating because it is a specific definition that is not just about some sort of extraordinary level of customer service alone, a la Zappos, that many companies may never be able to achieve. So for the companies that find it liberating, what is their usual next set of questions to you or planning tool that they can say, okay, great, I got to get going here? because This is where we want to be. So I I often say that customer obsession is the good idea that everyone agrees with, but no one knows how to do. And I think um, the challenge, as you've described it, Carrie, is that a company can look at this and think, what a terrific opportunity. Of course, I want to put the customer at the center of everything I do. It's it's the sort of... um, operational challenges of what that means I change that becomes really tricky. And so um, what I usually talk to companies about in terms of, so what do you do? How do you get started? I first of all ask them to think about why are they making this pivot? And many companies don't have a good answer to that. So I would say if you're listening to this podcast and you think, good idea, let's put the customer at the center, think about why that might be a pivotal change away from whatever you're doing today. And it could be something like, we currently lead our market. 
and we want to maintain that advantage. It could be um, we are struggling. We have grown through the last decade only through acquisition, and now we're not developing any further organic growth. Maybe we need to figure out a better way to do that. It could be um, we now have disruptors coming into our market and we have to come up with some different way that we can show ourselves uniquely against those disruptors. So think about it can be conceptual. It doesn't have to be a monetary um, goal at this point. But think about why would a pivot away from whatever you're doing into something that puts the customer at the center should be done first. Then I ask companies to think about their manifestation of customer obsession. Because Carrie, to your point, not every company needs to suddenly become Zappos. This isn't necessarily about um, showering your customers with service. It could be, but you might need to think as a business, who are our customers? What do they need most from us? What are we good at? And what can we scale to support? And we talk about three possible manifestations of customer obsession. This is um, manifestation one would be at your service. This would be like a Ritz-Carlton or a Zappos where you differentiate through service. Your customers expect high levels of service from you. Um, The second manifestation would be something we call on your side. This is where you are advocating for your customer. This is like AARP or the Navy Federal Credit Union, where maybe you're offering service, but the point is really, we got your back. Like we are, we are defending you. And then the third manifestation is count on us. This is a reliability manifestation. This would be like Walgreens or CenturyLink, companies where maybe the point is not we're going to over-service you. The point is we are just always going to be here. We are never not where you need us to be. And we are never not on when you need help from us. And so I, I generally say to companies, once you've thought about why you need to make this pivot, then think about what the pivot should be for you. What are you trying to become that will be the ultimate value that your customers need? And then that gives you something to strive for. So, Shar, is is this aspirational, what you wish your brand to to be, or a reflection on what you think your brand is today? And how does customer input or feedback kind of fit into how you determine where you're landing amongst those three buckets? So, aspiration is a great idea. You know, um, could you be doing something different than what you're doing today? Um, but generally, I tell companies to start with what they are. So, how do your company? How do your customers think of you? What are you good at? What are your um, What are your brand attributes? What are your strengths? So, start there, so that you're not chasing something that is um, wholly unattainable or, or frankly, misdirected. Um, you could spend an awful lot of money trying to become Zappos just because you feel like you should be, but that could be frankly out of alignment with what you're good at, what your companies come to you for. So I say start, start with the association of what you are today, what you're good at, what your customers want from you and sprinkle in a little bit of how could we be better at all of that for your aspirational growth. But the point of thinking of this is, if we were to truly be count on us, if we were to truly be on your side, we 
probably would do some things differently. And then that's that analysis of what do we have to change? What would we need to reconstruct? That helps you figure out then what you invest in. And I think, Jen, to your initial comments, it's what breaks down the point of this isn't just about being nicer to the customer. This is actually about what do we need to do differently in order to really be a company that our customer could say, we count on them, or they are on our side, or they are always at our service. So Char, you said a little while back, doesn't always have to be monetary or financial. That said, I would hate for listeners to come away from the conversation without understanding the very real link between customer obsession and business results. Can you talk about our research there and what you have found? Because of course, this has to pay off. Yeah. So to be clear, I don't want companies to think that they have to have figured out the payoff for this before they decide to pivot. Um, I want you first to think about why could this pivot be helpful at accomplishing some sort of competitive and growth goal? Um, then you think about your manifestation. Then you put some numbers behind it. So um, absolutely what we find from our research is that there is a very nice linear progression as, as companies mature, so as they go uh, up in their customer obsession maturity, they tend to find that there is a payoff associated with going up in their maturity. They, they end up having greater revenue gains. They end up having more satisfied customers and they end up having more satisfied employees. And it creates a little bit of a virtuous cycle. So as you are working to create more value for your customers, your customers become more satisfied. As they become more satisfied, you grow revenue. As you grow revenue and you have more satisfied customers, your employees become satisfied. As you have happier employees, you have better satisfied customers. So it sort of creates this spiral of um, benefit that gets increasingly better and better and better the more you improved each of those dimensions. So I'll tell you just um, a little bit of data. We find that companies that are customer obsessed, so when we sort of slice companies by how good they are at putting the customer at the center of their leadership strategy and operations, we find that 41% of them actually had their revenues grow 10% or more in their last fiscal year. Compare that to just 10% of companies that are not customer obsessed, are very naive in terms of how their customer might influence their business strategy. So uh, growing up on almost half of customer obsessed companies are experiencing significant revenue growth. We also know that employees at customer obsessed companies, 97% of them believe that it's highly likely that their firm's products and services will be best in class in the next five years. So they are happy, but they also feel that the work they're doing is making a difference, that it's helping to translate their business operations into something that will be industry leading over the course of the coming years. Shar, can you talk a little bit, and maybe this is like double clicking on the employee comment that you were just making, but I feel like sometimes you know, going back to my original comment, like employees feel like they're, you know, all about the customer, doing right by the customer. But 
with leadership coming in and maybe saying, hey, we're not doing what we should be doing right by the customer, being customer obsessed, we need to change how we operate, how we work. How have you seen firms handle that? Um, meaning, like, if employees think that they're already doing right by the customer, then you have leadership saying, actually, that's not the case. How are they kind of writing those two things together? Well, I think any employee likes to have clear direction about what good performance is. Um, so at some organizations, you might find that employees already think they're being customer obsessed because they're a front-facing employee. Um, they are in a customer service role. They're talking to customers directly. And then there's an awful lot of employees that are behind the scenes that feel like this might not be relevant for them. Mm -hmm. So I work in some sort of development function. Uh, I, I, I don't get to talk to customers or that's not what I'm good at and that's not what my role is. So I find that Companies that sort of look at this overall manifestation, like we're going to be a company that our customers can count on. Okay, if that's your overall vision and your overall goal, then what do you need to do in order to create that manifestation for your customers? And some of that's going to be customer facing. We need to show up on time for our service appointments. Um, but some of it is going to be about we need to build infrastructure and products that are reliable, that never break down, that um, are easy to use, that are affordable, that meet the way that our customers might use our products and might buy our products. That sort of thing is not necessarily saying behind the scenes employees suddenly have to get on the phone with customers. It means that they might have um, operational objectives that are about speed of development or about building products that are in line with what customer insights have informed or are about excellence and in innovation. So I think if we go back to your question about, you know, how do you get everybody to feel motivated and aligned with, with uh, this objective, I think it's about clearly figuring out everyone's piece of the puzzle so that the company overall has a plan. This is the sort of thing we're trying to build. And in order to do that, we need to make sure that everyone is clear about their role in the machinery or their role in the puzzle. Um, I'll give you just a, a quick example. I did a lot of work a few years ago for uh, Bank of Montreal, and they are uh, undertaking a significant pivot to become customer obsessed. And one of the things that they did in the course of their work is they created a, a, an overall uh, corporate vision that was about being BMO. And this was a sort of cultural set of statements, like here's what it means for us to be BMO. But it also was an actual uh, map, a competency map of all of the things that they need to do within the enterprise in order to accomplish their vision of being BMO. And it was hierarchical. So it was like, here's our end vision. If we work backwards from that, kind of in a you know uh, inverted pyramid, if we work backwards from that, what are all of the pieces that build into all of the other pieces that give the customer the experience that we want, that we think demonstrates our promise of being BMO? So much of what you just said makes me think of some of our other research about work and motivation and employee experience and giving people 
purpose in their job and how important that is. And I think back to your point about employee satisfaction increases. I mean, you could almost see an outcome here, even if the gains on the customer side are slower, to have an entire organization understand with clarity their purpose, the purpose of their work every day, even when it's abstract, could have so many positive gains, especially in this moment, right? This is important in every moment. We know that. There does seem to be a specific moment in time here where folks have so many unknowns and to have work be an unknown might just be a step too far. This is an amazing moment to align employees around that purpose. Well, if you think about uh, companies that have sort of been well-known for their customer focus, like Southwest Airlines, that's the hook that they figured out. They figured out that if they could find people who cared about customers, even if they didn't have a lot of experience in the travel industry or working for an airline, but they cared, they, 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 they were fueled by connections that they could make with other people, then that would have benefits that would create this cascading effect. So we're going to find people who enjoy working with customers and do it well. They're going to get fulfillment because we're going to goal them on how well they connect with customers. That's going to continue to create a culture which shows how important this is to us. And then everyone is working, not because they're they're being heavily metriced on stuff, but because their their soul is filled by it. They feel, they feel personally fulfilled by the work they're doing because it's the thing they care the most about. So, Shar, I just want to go back to this point of this is a big task, pivoting your organization to customer obsession, to be the customers at the center of everything you do. That's not just setting your vision and sort of saying, good luck. Like, you've done a ton of work here. You have provided a guide and guidance to many firms on this journey. So can you talk a little bit about what are those steps that firms should be taking and the analyses that they should be doing to make this pivot? Yeah, so I would think about pivoting to customer obsession in the same way that you might think about any sort of operational change for your company. This is not just about uh, fixing some broken customer experiences. Um, That is a good idea, but that will not change your entire enterprise to being customer obsessed. So when I started trying to tackle this question, I started thinking about if, if I were an executive guiding my company through a change of business model or a change of working model, what, what would I need to do? How would I think through it? And so I'll tell you uh, the approach that I am uh, applying and directing companies through. The first thing we think about is which of those manifestations of customer obsession makes the most sense for your business. And I have an exercise that we use to figure that out, which is a little bit about what are some of the things that that your customers might think of you as? What are some terms that they use to describe you? What are things that you would use to describe yourself? What are things maybe in your on your wish list that you wish you did better? And generally that helps executives figure out one of those three is the right thing. Okay, then I ask them to think about some sort of character 
of what would represent that. So if you were to break down what at, at your service means to you or what count on us means to you, what would it feel like if it were a person? Um, how would you be describing the characteristics of that person so that it becomes not just something that is a concept, but something that is a real, um, more visceral feeling that the organization wants to create? Okay, then I tell them to actually break down what the individual pieces are that would actually be necessary for them to make that vision real. And I ask them to think about uh, the organizational pieces that they would need. What skills, what structure, what personality type would you need in order to accomplish that vision that you've put together? Then I ask them to think about the locations that they would need to consider. What physical branches or digital channels would you need? What requirements, what infrastructure would you have to have in order to be the vision that you have in mind? Then I ask them to think about their partners. What suppliers, what vendors, what agencies would you need to work with? What would be the terms under which those partner relationships would be in place? Then I ask them to think about what insights they would need, what data, what information, what information management systems. And then lastly, I ask them to think about management. So across all of that, what would be the processes, the measurement, the governance that you would need? And this is, this is a, a detailed exercise. This is about if you were sort of building your city on the hill, what would be all of the components that you would need to build that city on the hill? Then the next step is to do that same exercise, but thinking about the organization, the location, the partners, the insights, the management that you have in place today. And so you see where I'm going here. The idea is once you've come up with a, a vision of what you want to accomplish, and you've thought through the nuts and bolts, the building blocks of what pulls off that vision, and then you think through what you have today, the gaps, so where you are today versus where you need to be in order to accomplish your vision, that becomes your plan. It becomes the way you think about what to build. And for most companies, it also helps them think through what happens first, either because of what's easiest or because of what is the most critical, that without this element, none of the rest of the things that we need to build will be possible. I love that plan, and it has so much clarity. You mentioned you're building a city on a hill, which is a really neat visual. What if I am currently running a dumpster fire in a ditch? Have you seen companies go from so far off to the city on the hill, or have we mostly seen today, you know, they had a decent looking town and they needed to polish up? Like, do we have some hope here for the companies that are very far away from this path? So it is certainly easier to do this in some sort of gradual capacity because you can see the results and those results are inspiring. So it's a little bit like if you've never run a marathon before, probably getting off the couch and running 26 miles is going to be a real challenge. But there's a lot of motivation that comes from, I can do five miles. Oh, I can do seven miles. Oh, I just did seven miles. I bet I could do 13. Like there's a lot of motivation that comes from that graduation. Having said that, 
the climate we are in right now is conducive to acts of extreme risk taking. And so if there was ever a time where businesses are finding that they must completely depart from whatever they have done, uh, now is that time. And so I, I have seen companies, I'm thinking of one company in the travel space, where within six weeks time, they completely pivoted away from their current model uh, because everything was closed in their world to a model that was much more digital, much more mobile, much more real time, um, much more conducive to how a customer needed to be served. And they, they did it in six weeks. They probably would not have, have made that move if the circumstances were not so drastic that it became very clear if they didn't make the move, um, it would be, uh, their circumstances would be much more dire. So I feel a little bit like, you know, right now is the perfect opportunity to take a chance that you might be hesitant to take in different circumstances. You might be waiting for more ideal circumstances like, oh, you know, things are fine enough. Uh, at some point there'll be more drama and that'll be the time where we need to take action. Um, I don't, I don't think there could be more drama than what we're experiencing now. And so in that regard, companies can move very quickly. I had one CMO tell me, you know, when the house is on fire, it's pretty clear that you have to put the fire out. So priorities are clear and pivoting toward solving customer problems is more essential now than ever before and might even be easier for you because a lot of the other stuff has been cleared out of your way. Given the world today, the pandemic and all that entails, why should customer obsession be a priority for firms? You could sit and do nothing right now, but obviously that is the wrong approach. Doing nothing, sort of continuing your business as usual, is so clearly out of step with market conditions, customer concerns, stresses associated with how your market is proceeding, that doing nothing is the most risky scenario. So it's a terrific time to move to something that you knew is a good idea even in good times. And remember that Connecting to your customer is going to tell you exactly what they need right now. And that's what you need to know. That's what you need to hear. Thanks for joining us today, Shar. Thank you, guys. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.